Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Yeah, and I've got Barry Markson helping me hold it down here this week as we dive into some of the stories that are coming out ahead of the election that I find somewhat interesting here, Barry, is that, you know, we talk about like young people, right? And they don't vote. That's why you've got all these politicians that focus on the older voters out there because they're the ones that actually show up on, you know, election day. And that's starting to change. We saw in the midterm elections, there was uh, a twofold increase over 2016 in the amount of young people who are voting and heading out to the polls. But then you take a look at other studies out there and it makes you wonder, well, what are those young people really voting for? What, what change do they want to see? Because Pew Research Research did a, a poll recently, and what they found out is that about 75, ah, let's call it 80 percent of Americans say that the U.S. stands above all other countries or is one of the greatest countries along with others. So we're the best or we're among the best. 80 percent of Americans feel that way. All right. Yet 20 percent say there are other countries better than us. That's overall. But when you're looking at that younger demographic, again, those that are going to be heading to the polls, apparently, if you're looking at, you know, what's happened historically, they're going to be increasing. And 18 to 29 percent of people out there say or 18, 18 to 29 uh, age people out there say that uh, America is not the best country. In fact, 35 percent of them say, you know what? Other countries are better than us. Yeah, it's it, look, you, I think you've always seen this, though, Pamela. I think that more people as you get older, you have more life experience. You've seen more things in the world. Maybe you've traveled more. Um, you're going to recognize what we offer here in the United States, not not just the rights we have, which are obviously so amazing um, and are taken for granted. They really are. Uh, but also just our lifestyle here. It's even if you're not a rich person here, you can your, your lifestyle here is pretty good compared to most countries. Mm-hmm. I, I know some people don't want to think that, but it's it's really true. And if you've traveled at all, you'll you'll see that uh, just the amount that we have available, what you have in your house. I mean, people who don't have a lot of money here, they have cell phones, they have cable, they have, you know what I mean? They have cars, they have air conditioning, they have, they have things that many people in other countries wish they could get. You know what? Uh, I grew up in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and for the first, let's see, 12 years, 13 years of my life, we didn't have air conditioning. Yeah. We don't have air conditioning. Yeah. We had a pool in the backyard, like one of those above ground pools. Right. And so it'd be 90% humidity, like a high of 90 degrees, dead of summer. And if we were hot, even before, like if it was midnight, my dad would go jump at the pool. Go jump at the pool. Yeah. And people were like, you don't have air conditioning? No, we don't have air conditioning. I went to Ireland uh, quite a few years ago, but it wasn't hot. It was a little muggy. And we were at like a Hilton or something, like, you know, like a, a big name in, right. air, uh, hotel. They don't have air conditioning. At the hotel? Well, no. There's, oh. there's, there was no air conditioning. Yeah. And those are just little <laughs> things like that that you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you that, that that's part of it, too, is that younger people, and not just younger people, but, but disproportionately younger people, don't have the discretionary income to travel abroad. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, there's a desire, but they may not have the money or the time because they're working at a job that doesn't afford them that time to travel abroad. And, and when you don't have those other worldly experiences, so to speak, you live in this bubble and you take what's in that bubble for granted. Yeah. And I, I know I wish I had traveled more when I was younger and, and I'm glad I'm having the opportunity yeah. to do it now. But yeah, you start, look, start of it is what we're used to in the United States, but we really do have an amazing yes. amount of services and yes. professionals and things like that available 
to is even with the health care, people get all upset they can't afford health care, whether they have health insurance. And there's a lot about that we could we can talk about. But I will tell you, I was in um, Toronto and I was talking to people about their health care because there was an issue. We were dealing with something specific to health care. And they said, I said, how come you haven't been to the doctor yet? And healthcare in Canada is free, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a totally free from the government. And they said we made an appointment as soon as we realized. And the next appointment was eleven months later. Now that's now you can sit there and say, well, but it's free, and isn't that wonderful? And but that's unbelievable. We would never wait that long here to see somebody, even without health insurance. You go to an emergency room here, you get taken care of. There's things that that would help you, and that doesn't exist there. I've fired doctors. That I've been with for a long time when they're like, oh, yeah, their next available appointment is next month. No, I'll go find someone else. And we have yet again that freedom, right? that freedom to do it. Now, is the system foolproof? No, not by a long shot. But it's disheartening to me that you see, you know, one in five say that there are other countries out there better than the United States. Because that's a very broad category. Are there other things that countries do better? Sure. There are other topics and aspects and issues that other countries may have a stronghold on, and the United States can learn a little something from. I can concede that. But overall, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, no, our mix of such a strong economy and the rights and and the civil rights that we have in this country, it it truly is amazing. And I've been in countries now where people I was with, they're they're very – nervous to talk like you ask them a question and they don't want to answer it honestly because they don't know who's listening they literally talk about the walls have ears and things like that and these are in countries you wouldn't you wouldn't think about that but here's the biggest thing pamela this just the fact that here in the united states you can get ice whenever you want you can get a uh, cup of ice anywhere oh uh, yes you, you travel ice, yes. you travel almost anywhere else uh-huh. ice, ice is just it's like a it's like gold it's uh-huh. like you, you ask somebody for some ice and they look at you like you're asking them for some gold coins it's amazing they don't they don't have ice it's a really different you just get used to something, I guess, right? That's you, how you it totally works. get used to it, and, and that's why anytime I have traveled abroad, when I come back to the U.S., it, it just feels like coming home. And and sometimes you got to shake things up to appreciate what you have because, like, the, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Right. When you travel abroad, you see so many of those little things that that disappear. And make you, you know, so thankful for this country. And I mean, we're talking about ice and air conditioning. There are so many more things like you talk about, you know, the walls have ears and, you know, our our freedom of speech and what we can say and have these kinds of conversations. They're definitely not taking place in like places like Iran right now, you know. I was just talking to my family this weekend about that, that there are so many countries and you're seeing it now in other countries around the world where elections turn into dictatorships. And that doesn't happen here. I mean, you, you look at Venezuela right now. This was a country where there there was a strong middle class. There were wealthy people, poor people. It, it was a thriving country. They had oil money, but people had work and jobs and education, and they were happy. And now that's all gone. They're trying to figure out where just where they can eat next. That's how bad it is now. And that just happened because the leaders in that country were more concerned with themselves than with following the rules of law. And, and I'm not making commentary on the United States right now. I'm just saying this happens in other countries. Things change when a person takes over and then tries to turn himself into a dictator. And you're seeing that. Hopefully not, but a little bit of that in Brazil right now. You see it in Venezuela. You see it in different parts of the world. You see it in Hungary. There are people who were living in democracy who thought they had rights, and suddenly it starts to be taken away from them. You know what you're talking about with Venezuela? I was reading an article over the weekend how they've raised the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Okay, They've raised the minimum wage in Venezuela, and I forget what, what like astronomical percentage it was that they raised it. And it's still not enough to like buy meat. 
Oh, yeah, because inflation there has gone crazy. In, it was just absolutely incredible and, and eye-opening because you, you see these things. And I've seen like the before and af- after pictures of like store shelves, right. you know, um, prior to to socialism and, and, and then after what you were looking at there. And you're like, wow, OK, it is eye opening. But again, that is stepping outside of your bubble and, and, and becoming more educated, whether right. it's whether you, you can afford to, to go get a passport and, and, and travel and see these things firsthand or whether you just take an interest in learning what's happening around the world so that you have a greater understanding and appreciation for the freedoms that we have in this country. Yeah. Well, heck, even this the surveys we're looking at, 10 percent of people never left the state they were born. In. Think about that. I mean, that's incredible. That's that's not a money thing, by the way. You can get on a Greyhound bus. For, You're like a for, moose. For you don't live with, you don't leave within like ten miles of where yeah. you were born. I mean, go see another state. Go see something different. Just just get out of your bubble and learn a little bit. It's, there's a lot there to see. No question about no it. No question about it. All right. So, is there any question about what Governor Ducey is going to be talking about in his state of the state address? Not really. I think we have <laughs> a, a good idea as to what we're expecting today around two o'clock. You're going to be able to hear it live here on KTIR, but. But there are some important factors that I think that we need to be diving a little deeper into because, well, they impact all of us. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. It is Pamela Hughes and Barry Markson for you all week long as Bruce is on vacation. And you know what? Today at 2 o'clock, like you just heard Bob McClay state there, they we're going to have the governor's state of the state speech. And there are several things that we're expecting the governor to talk about. And, uh, Barry, I think that, you know, when you're talking about Arizona, you're talking about the governor, you're talking about things that are important to the state. You've got to put education on that list. Yeah, there's no question. And as as good as the state uh, is doing right now economically, as much as Governor Ducey has done to re uh, to put money back into K through 12 education, by the way, uh, for example, we're still not. Uh, at the education funding level where we were in 2008. I yeah. mean, this that's so we, yes, we've come a long way, don't get me wrong, but we're still not at the same level we were uh, 10, 12 years ago. And that's a problem. So that's going to still be a big press. Uh, the universities, I, I think, are going to want more money from an education standpoint, too. We still live in a state, nobody seems to care, where the Constitution says your university education should be as nearly free as possible. That's in the Constitution. Um, and it's not anymore. It's just not. It costs now to go to a state school in the neighborhood of $11,000 a year in tuition. Not Hi, it's pretty St. James, and if you're in the pro Hi, Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Not, not counting all of the fees and everything else. So there's there's still places where money can be spent. We have a billion-dollar surplus. I don't think they're going to touch that. I think they're going to add to that for when the economy turns, you know, things go bad. There's a little money to pull out, so the downturn isn't but quite as much, bad as it was. how much do you need? How much do you need? Well, because it's a matter of, you know, investing now or investing later because i come from the viewpoint of some of that should be you know broken off and put into education yeah you haven't replaced what you took some 12 years ago yeah. uh it's about time and i'm not talking about the 20 by 2020 yes what governor doug Ducey did for that was fantastic uh, but there's still a hole we dug such a deep hole all those years ago and that money hasn't been replenished so you've, you got a billion dollars Am I saying it all has to go to education? No. But there's an, there's an aspect of where do you want to invest? And yeah. investing in our future with the education services is also investigating in our economic future, which is something that we all should care about. Yeah, no, I, look, I agree with you. I'd like to see more money go to education. I've, and I've told the governor this over the last number of years, that the, the governor who makes education his top priority, that's the governor that's going to win. And he calls himself the education governor now. But it's, you also have to keep in mind that Arizona, because we don't raise taxes, 
because we keep cutting taxes, there's less revenue when the downturn yeah. comes, and it will come, yeah. Pamela. It's coming. Think about how difficult that was last time in the in 2010, 11, 12. It was awful. It'd be nice to have a huge fund to pull $250, $300 million out of a year to make the, the transition for education, other things may be a little less painful. Yeah, but I mean, that that's also where, you know, you, you got to be able to walk and chew gum yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Because when when the the economy took that downturn, that is when they absolutely raided the education funds and we've never and we've never come back from it. So you see it's yeah. kind of like a catch-22. But what you're talking about there, Barry, though, when it comes to taxes, and Arizona is not a tax-friendly kind of state. You know, we, we pride ourselves in not raising taxes. Oh. And um, we, we pride ourselves... I, we are tax-friendly, by the way. We have, we have low taxes. Yes. But what I'm saying, like, <laughs> tax-friendly is we're not friendly when it comes to raising taxes. You're right. right. There you go. Um, But when it comes to income tax, what I thought was interesting is the governor's been hinting that he may propose an income tax cut in his state of the state address this afternoon. I look uh, to tax reform to to the real people in the state of Arizona. It's why I like to focus or see where the opportunities are on income tax. This is how you affect real people in a state. And stay tuned to State of the State to see how we're going to do that. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I had a friend that left California. She has her own business. And she was getting taxed out of the wazoo in California. And she set up shop in Texas. Yeah. Because it was... It was better for her family. It was better for her business. And that's exactly what Governor Doug Ducey is taking a look at. We're competing against Nevada, who has zero income tax. We're competing against Texas and Florida, who have zero income tax. Yeah, and that's the, the, this is a governor that when he ran the first time, uh, before his first term, one of his proposals was to eventually eliminate the state income tax. I know that's a goal of his. I don't know how you do that. You have to raise other taxes in order to make that it's gotta happen. It's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, and I think he's realized that's not going to happen. But every year he's been in office, Governor Ducey has cut taxes, even if just a little bit. And I'm sure you're going to see some of that again this year. It's always been a priority of the governor and of this Republican uh, legislature to cut taxes. Some might say, Pamela, okay, enough with the tax cutting. We've cut, 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 cut. Let's let a little extra revenue come in so we can put more money and invest in education again. We can add to the rainy day fund. We can do with our infrastructure. We can put more law enforcement on our highways. Maybe every the economy is going so well right now. Why do we need more tax cuts? Some people may argue that. So, but this governor, he likes he likes to get those tax cuts. He thinks it brings more business in, and it's important for the state. Yeah, and tax is obviously going to be a big topic at the State of the State address this afternoon. I would take to the bank. We will continue to see a call for tax reduction. That's the word from President and CEO of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce, Glenn Hammer, ahead of the governor's State of the State address this afternoon. Hammer says with the extensive rainy day fund, dollars will find themselves back where you want them. This is the final year of the governor's 20 percent by 2020 plan to increase teacher pay. There will also be a lot of extra money for additional assistance. I would expect there'll be uh, other things in the budget for K through 12. Yeah. So again, we're getting back to education. We're getting back to safety. We're getting back to infrastructure. Um, and a lot of these conversations can take place because of the surplus that we have in the state. But we are in a dramatically different position today with the rainy day fund balance, our credit rating, the amount of debt that we've paid down and the size of, of the general fund. Yeah. I mean, so at the, at the end of the day, I believe... The state is in a great position, yeah. and, and this is the position you want to be in as a governor walking up to the podium for your state of the state speech. I mean, like the, the, the state of Arizona is doing well. Yeah. Look, you want to compare where we were, where we are now uh, to where Governor Brewer was in office. Yes. And some really difficult decisions had to be made because the money wasn't there. 
much better, much, much better, much happier place to be to say, hey, we're going to have X number of hundreds of millions of dollars of more money than last year. Where should that money go? What a great option to have. And we can argue over that as opposed to we have, to, the cut, money gonna come we have from? to cut $400 yeah. million. Dollars, and now what are we going to do? Yeah, exactly. So, Governor Newsom's like, done a nice work. It's, it's just like any dinner table here yeah. in the Valley. You know, you'd rather be going like, OK, we've got this extra money. What do we want to pay down or where do we want to save it or where do we want it to go? Yeah. Those are much easier conversations Absolutely. to have across the dinner table other than, OK, uh, we got to cut Netflix and yeah. cable. And, and let's, let's give the governor some credit yeah. also. I mean, he's right. When you talk about things like our credit rating and stuff like that, normal Arizonans, we don't think about that that much. Those are really important things for the Arizona economy. And the governor's focused on that in his five years in office. Okay, but when it comes to the economy, everybody's kind of looking at their personal economy, right? And where you work and what do you do? Do you get more done when you work from home or when you go to the office? A lot of federal employees are being called back to the office. We want to know what you think about this. We're going to be talking about it next here on KTIR. Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. If you could work from home, would you? Well, about a quarter of workers in the United States now call into their meetings and telecommute from home. And it's something that the Trump administration is putting the squeeze on when it comes to federal workers and a lot of those federal workers, none too happy. But I've got Barry Markson in with me today as Bruce St. James is out for the week. And Barry, you take a look at this and say, well, you're not as productive when you're working at home. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think of it for myself just personally, I don't think I'm as productive at home. Now, I do work from home. I do work from home. most mornings. I get on. I do email. I clean stuff out because um, I, I like to go in a little later, miss the, uh, miss the traffic, right? That's my thing. So I guess I, I guess I am somewhat productive. I don't know that if I sat and worked at home all the time, it, it, maybe I guess I'd get in the right groove. I'm afraid I'd, I'd be surfing the internet or looking at the TV or doing, you know, going to do something else, like finding other stuff to do. But I guess you get caught up because you have to do the work anyway, right? The work needs like, to get so, done. So at some point it gets done. If you, if you push it off, it still gets done. Got a lot of friends that work from home, yeah. and so they they have a schedule. You know, I'm going to work from this time to this time, That's and then smart. I'm going to take a break, and then this time to this time. So they're holding themselves accountable for it. But there are a lot of folks who work for the government yeah. that will no longer be able to hold themselves accountable because they have to go back to the office. During the Obama administration, there was this huge push to get people to work from home. Now, what would be the benefit of them working from home? Well, then you don't need the overhead yeah. in the office space and the chairs and the computers yep. and all that kind of stuff that takes place at the brick and mortar if they can do their job efficiently from home. What we're finding with the Trump administration is that a lot of the departments, like the Agricultural Department, I know the Department of Veterans Affairs is being impacted by this as well, it, they're having to go back to the office. Now, be clear here, this isn't just a D.C. problem. There are people that live here oh, in yeah. the Valley all, all over the country. That, that work for these different departments, and then they, they're now going to have to report and actually go to work. And I think that in a, in a market right now, in an economy where unemployment is so low, the benefit, the draw of working from home is something that so many people want that the government is going to lose out on good people because this is a benefit that 
they like and they're going to try to find in the private sector. Yeah, I mean, even some of the reports we saw, there are already people leaving their jobs uh, with the federal government because it doesn't fit their schedule anymore. They have a family. They're picking the kids up from school. And it's why they chose what, this job to begin with. Right. It, it works for them. And they've been doing it that yeah. way now for a number of years. So it isn't as if it's something they want and they can't have. They've been doing it. And now the federal government making them come back to office. Now, I will say the Trump administration, what somewhat bothers me, as much as I'm the old school come into the office, I think we're more productive in the office. They're going against the studies, the science says you're more productive at home than you are in the office. And that troubles me a little bit. And the other thing that's interesting is there's some folks that are saying that the government is doing this to federal workers to kind of make it less convenient for federal workers. They're, they're trying to make things less comfortable on purpose. So when you talk about those studies, there was a two-year Stanford study that took a look at productivity from those working at home. And they found that, um, yeah, they were so much more Productive. We're talking about um, working about a day and a half more every month, 17 days every year compared to those that work in the office. And that the company is also benefiting by saving about two grand per employee on rent and office space. Right. So we know that a lot of you listening right now do work from home or maybe you're going into the office because maybe you kind of mix it up. You go to the office twice a week and you're grabbing us in the car right now. And so we, we wanted to hear from you because I get what you're saying, Barry, about would you be productive at home? I think that there's there's a learning curve. I'm sure there's sure. an absolute learning curve. And I think the thing that would be concerning to me working from home would be um, – being like isolated, you know, yeah, and away from coworkers and yeah. away from other adults. I wouldn't like that. And the other thing that would worry me, and I, and I know from some of my friends, is the workday doesn't end. So maybe they take a break here or there, but they're almost working all the time. And if they're home and they have free time, they're working. Yeah. And that's not a, I don't think that's a healthy workday. So what did you have to say on our open mic line? We've got a lot of phone calls, folks. Here's what you, your take is on it. My name is Paul. I'm from Phoenix. I've had several opportunities to work from home, and I'll tell you, I am 10 times more productive at home than in the office. There's not the water cooler conversation. There's not the commute. Yeah. I'm usually on my computer when I wake up at about 6.30 in the morning, working until about 6 o'clock at night. The flexibility on lunch breaks and getting some personal things is done. And it's just been statistically proven for me and my measurables and accountability at work that I'm 10 times more productive at home. I think he touched upon something else that is worth highlighting is the commute. Yeah, I was about to say. And, you know, I live in Gilbert. So my commute from Gilbert to 16th Street and Northern, where the station is at, is about anywhere from 50 to 50 minutes to an hour in the morning. Because wow. I'm during high oh, you know, yeah, traffic. Right. Um, and then we do have some flexibility on the job. You know, when, when I leave here, it isn't as busy because I really try to get out before that evening uh, drive time takes place. So it's probably about 40 minutes on the way home. Yeah. So we'll just call it an hour, an hour yeah. and a half plus. Yeah. And you, you start doing the math every on day. that every day for a week, yeah, that's seven, and you start to see how that adds up. Yeah, you're in the car seven and a half hours a day. That's almost like a full day of work. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I mean, even if you were to work a little extra, you know, obviously you can't do that here, Pamela, at this kind of a job. But if for other people in a similar circumstance, you know, you get that extra a half hour day of work, and yet you're cutting your own work time because your commute's not there anymore. Uh, by an hour, it's, it benefits both sides. And you know what, though? I also, as somebody who lives in Gilbert and works in, in Phoenix, 
like telecommuting. You know why? All you people aren't on the road when I'm commuting in the morning, right? So it even cuts down on traffic for for the rest of us who actually have to go to an office every single day. My name is Sandra, and I'm calling from Glendale. I work at home. I absolutely love working at home. I am much more productive. I found working in office exposed me to much more corporate politics and emotional dramas that I just don't really care to partake in and found myself to be much more peaceful, just being able to manage my job. If my job asked me to come back to office, I would likely look for another position similar with another company that allowed for me to work at home. I think that's interesting. What she talked yeah. about is when I'm at home, I'm allowed to work. Yeah. And no, just work. She's right. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's, there's definitely the interruptions of people coming into your, your desk space, you're asking you questions, or just to you know, tell you, hey, what about the game last night? All that, a lot of that goes Away, but you may have missed some of that too. You talk about the isolation, yeah. but she's right. Like the politics and the because so much. I don't deal with this as much, but you're right. People, I see it all the time. People standing at each other's desks, they're talking about this other one and the gossiping that's going on. And why did that one do this? And you're right. It's draining. You take all of that uh-huh. out, and you become more efficient. I hadn't actually thought of that. That's a really good point. And, and it allows you, like I said, yeah, to work. work when you're at home. Yep. You're working. And and a point that you had brought up, Barry, uh, is that you know a lot of these companies are also they're the ones giving you the laptop or the desktop to work at home and with that is the software to make sure that you're actually right. working it's right. not just carte blanche hey we'll see you when we see you there right. is some checks and balance that take place yeah some um, more than others but yeah some more than others <laughs> no question. Yeah, but i just think that this is an example of how work is changing it's the idea of here's your job get it done Whenever you get it done, however you get it done, I don't care. Just get it done and get it done right. Don't forget the best part. If you work at home, you don't have to get dressed up every day. Oh, man. I'm yoga pants every (laughs) single day. Absolutely. All right. Hey, you know what? You've stuck with us through the entire show. And you know what? Coming up next, I've got a faith in humanity story that takes me out to, again, my neck of the woods in Gilbert. That is just going to warm your heart. All right. Some good news for you for a change. Coming up next here on KTIR. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. You've got Pamela Hughes and Barry Markson in for you all week long. And earlier in the show, though, we we actually called Bruce. We had to talk to Bruce. Yes. Uh, because the Oscar <laughs> nods were given this morning. And, well, I mean, like, he is a member of the Phoenix Film Critics Society. I can't believe I'm saying that because I hear it too often. But wanted to get his take on the nominations. And so, yeah, we chatted with him. How weird is that? But, um... What I thought was interesting about the Oscar nods, Perry, you and I, and I don't want to speak for you, but just given our conversations this morning, we don't have a whole lot of time to go to the movies. No. How many movies would you say you saw in the last year? I mean, like, how many have you gone and actually seen? I, interestingly enough, we see we saw two in the last three weeks, oh, but, wow. but, which is, a, is incredible, oh, okay. but I may have seen four or five the entire year. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you. But you and I both saw... In the last two weeks, in fact, I finished it last night, um, one of the best pictures. So 10, 10 films got the nod for best picture, and we'll see who actually wins it. But Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Which one did you see this weekend? I saw 1917 this weekend, and it was, I got to say, it was really good. It was just, just a great movie. 
movie. Really well done. So that was Bruce's number one film for 2019. Oh, is that right? Uh, and as we talked to him earlier on the show, he he said it's either going to be 1917 that wins yeah. or Parasite. And I finished Parasite. I watched Parasite oh, last wow. night. And interesting movie. Weird movie. Good movie. Huh. Uh, it's one you got to read. Yeah. It's okay. one of those movies you got to read. It's oh. all subtitled because oh. it's in Korean. Can't wait. So that's one of those. Already out. Mo- movie you got to read. <laughs> um, but also what's interesting in, in the, the Oscar nominations are a lot of these films that were in the theaters for just a short period of time. We're talking like in L.A. and New York for like a weekend yeah. before they went direct to Netflix. Yeah, The Irishman, I saw that on Netflix. Great movie. Actually watched it on a plane. I was on a long plane ride. And just a really great Martin Scorsese movie. Fits right in with a lot of those old uh, movie, the movies he's done in the past. Um, I don't know if it's the best movie of the year. I mean, 1917 is going to be hard to beat. But that's the new, the new world now, Pamela. I mean, Netflix and those companies have so much money. And uh, I think The Irishman cost $180 million. I mean, they, they've got the money to fund these movies. And when you talk about another, you know, from the theaters directly to Netflix, you're also looking at Marriage Story, and that was nominated for Best Picture, as well as Lead Actor with Adam Driver. You also have Best Supporting Actor with uh, Laura. Well, no, Supporting would be uh, Laura Dern. Um, Lead Actor, Scarlett Johansson. mm -hmm. So I didn't. I don't even know what that's about. It's about divorce. Oh well, that's depressing. Yeah, and it, but <laughs> but yeah, I watched it because Bruce recommended it, okay. and it's also on Netflix. So those are the easy ones for me to see. Yeah. To be honest with you, is that like on as Netflix a, too? As a working parent, it's hard sometimes to to get yeah. out and find a sitter. And so these movies that are going direct to Netflix, you're you're getting a different kind nice. of audience as well. Uh, yeah, that one's on Netflix. It's really good. I really want to see really Ford, well Ford and Ferrari. That's one on this list that I haven't seen that I really want to see. Yeah. So the uh, the Oscar nominations out. Nothing really surprising there. The, the thing that I thought was was pretty funny is the supporting actors: Tom Hanks, Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Brad Pitt. Yeah, big maybe names. after this, maybe after this, they'll break into the business. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this will be their big lead here. Um, but you know what? We do try to finish the store, the, the show on a high, on an up note. A lot of news out there can be trying, and so we try to uh, give you something good to focus on. And so today, in Faith in Humanity, I want to take you out to my neck of the woods in Gilbert. And because I live in Gilbert, I'm also a fan of the Go Gilbert Facebook page. There's some really fun stories on there, and that's where I found this one. This one's from Tina. She wrote this. I'd like to give a shout out to Rancho de Tia Rosas. It's a really great restaurant out in the East Valley, folks. I was at the Gilbert location Saturday night with one of my friends and realized that I had lost my sterling bracelet that contained my stepdaughter's ashes. She passed away December 19th at the young age of 27. We had just picked up the bracelet from the funeral home Friday, and needless to say, I was devastated. I had messaged the restaurant, failing to tell them what location I was at when I feel I lost it. They went above and beyond, searched both restaurants, and they found it. Not only did they find it, but they left the sweetest note from me as well. The note read this. This was from Savannah, one of the hostesses at Rancho de Tia Rosas. Just wanted to say how sorry I am for your loss. I understand how hard this must be. Thank God we found the bracelet, though. Hope things start getting better. I also threw in a gift card for you. Tina went on to write on her Facebook post here that I've always loved this restaurant now and I love them even more. So show your support to this local restaurant here, here 
totally agree with you. Rancho de Tia Rosas is a great place. Their patio is gorgeous. In fact, it's where we had our wedding rehearsal. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, that place is very special to me. And uh, hopefully... Um, a lot of people go out and support the local restaurant doing good things out there. Yeah, great for them. Barry Markson uh, in all week. Thank you so much Thanks, for helping Pamela. me today. Uh, we also have a team of people that help put this together. But in that team also is Bob McClay, and he's not going anywhere.